Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am so excited to have this conversation with my friend and colleague, Mary Bellamy. We have known each other a long time. We go back to a training program a thousand years ago in scream-free parenting, <laughs> scream-free, stay calm. And we have, have stayed connected and been friends ever since and colleagues and collaborators. And so it's great. And I've been on, on your in your world and your community, and I'm so happy to welcome you to ours. Thank so you, great to have you. So today we're going to sort of talk about neurofeedback, but we're also going to kind of see how the conversation comes up and and what happened. So, Miriam, tell us a little bit about the work that you do with families of complex kids and mm-hmm. and how you came to be doing this work. So uh, I have my own complex kids, and I I am my own complex kid too. Right. <laughs> So I've, I've been a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been in practice for almost 25 years and had my own journey. I take it all very uh, seriously. I work as much as I work on myself. I help clients. I try not to introduce things or I, I never introduce things that I don't think make sense for me personally. So my own personal journey, I was struggling a lot with a lot of stress. Uh, as as I now know, all four of us in this family have ADHD, and that adds this level of complexity to and difficulty and stress to family and marriage. And um, so I, in addition to that, I had, I got mono 25 years ago, and I never quite recovered. Really? Yeah. And I, I'm being a little more open about this now because I, I think that's what's happening. The same thing is happening with people with long COVID. Mm-hmm. So now I think they're going to doctors and researchers are going to start taking us seriously because this is something real. Right. So I had that happen. Yeah, this kind of, and, and by this, we, we, I think you're referencing like a chronic fatigue. Yes. Right. That is started by a, something precipitating viral. event. Right. Yeah. And so that was before I had kids and I had kids. And so, you know, the, the stress of, you know, family, everybody's got ADHD, right? Didn't know I had ADHD. I was going to say, and you didn't know it because that adds a whole other layer been there. Didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Didn't take it seriously. Anyway. So I started struggling with a great deal of fatigue, um, daily fatigue, GI problems, daily stomach ache. Um, and I tried everything for many, many years. And as you know, I'm a fam- Bowen Family Systems therapist. Right. So I go to DC for the trainings and conferences and so forth. And I was out there uh, about six or seven years ago, and they were talking about this neurofeedback thing. 
and there were people getting up front, business leaders, very successful people, and they were talking about their struggles and they were talking about leadership and they were talking about this Zengar thing. Zengar is this form of neurofeedback. And I was at this real, this place where I was just so tired of being where I was. And I knew something had to shift. I couldn't just keep jumping at every supplement and every whatever. (laughs) So so I decided to try neurofeedback. The way I decided to do it was with this particular approach. There are several different approaches out there. This one was the most affordable and I could do it at home. And guess what? I could hook up my kids <laughs> mm-hmm. and my husband. So uh, we rented the equipment. We did it at home and I had a pretty dramatic turnaround pretty quickly. Not everybody has it quickly like this, like we did. But so, for example, I was six sessions in. I woke up the next day and I felt rested. And I realized in that moment, I probably hadn't felt rested for 20 years at that time. Um, My youngest was also doing sessions. This was over the summer. And again, very quickly, all this child became, she was about 11 at the time, 11 or 12. She started being happy. Her mood shifted beautifully and seamlessly. It's like, it was just an attention grabber. Yeah. You're rested. She's lighter. (laughs) and there's probably a connection there too (laughs) oh yeah yeah and and that's part of why so I think you know I started my practice uh because I decided to start integrating this into my life and into my work and so I called the practice whole family neurofeedback because I think when we do the neurofeedback we're better the kids are going to be better too but so she started um being normally sort of Locked up in a room watching her phone. She was coming out. She was affectionate. A lot of times uh, she would uh, recoil at affection. She became very affectionate. Uh, my anxiety went down. My stress levels went down. And so this was this was significant to me because nothing else had made that kind of a difference. Yeah. So I started uh, buying the equipment. I, I now have a rental fleet. I need to add something, though, too, with my daughter. She went from a CDF student, not an F every once in a while, but she was really, really uh, floundering in school to an AB, an honor roll student. And I'll never forget the day where we get a text from school and she, it's a picture. And it's, you know, at, the, at her high school, they had, she was just starting high school, a, a list of all the kids who made the honor roll. And she's like, my name's up there. This is a mistake. No, it's not a mistake. <laughs> She, she actually, and you know, she's an AB student now. She just got accepted to college and um, yeah. So that's how I got started. And so what is it that you do? Because you're a therapist and you do neurofeedback. So how do you support families, with complex kids? What is, what's important? So, yeah, this is such an important part that you and I have talked about before that neurofeedback isn't like anything, like medication or anything. It's not just sort of one one thing that's the silver bullet that fixes your life or gets you right. out of right. the normal dilemmas of being a parent and being a married person or not. Kind a of like person. coaching. It's not it, a panacea. Right. That's right. So I did start integrating it into my counseling practice. um, And it is one part. It's a pretty powerful part. And, you know, at at the time in 20 years, I hadn't seen anything as powerful uh, as quick. Mm -hmm. So what I, you know, I believe that coming and helping people from a systems perspective, it's quite different from the conventional attachment approaches that are out there. Mm -hmm. I think that is just as powerful. It just takes a long time. And so what is important, it's the scream free message, right? It's 
really being able to self-regulate as a parent and as a spouse, as a daughter, as a sister, as a brother, and so forth. And neurofeedback helps with that self-regulation. Well, you know, in in the last couple of years, some research started coming out about ADHD specifically in neurofeedback. And so the first Mm -hmm. person I called was Miriam. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, can you find out what this means? Can you, can you interpret this for me? Mm -hmm. You know? And so we did, we had a conversation a while back about ADHD Mm -hmm. specifically in neurofeedback. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want to put you on the spot to answer all the, the, you know, the detailed questions, but on a big picture, can you speak just to, to what you learned about the connection? Yeah. So what Dr. Hallowell, who, you know, as well talks about this race car engine brain Mm -hmm. and bicycle brakes, this difficulty with slowing down, getting organized, um, thinking through decisions, that kind of thing. And neurofeedback helps with that. It so kind of helps I, you I put will the brakes also, on. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. One of the things that I'll hear pretty regularly, I was just talking to a woman yesterday with ADHD. People will talk about this, they call it an observer. And I don't put that language in there, but independently, people will come and they'll say, all of a sudden, there's this observer on board. Like I wasn't freaking out at my daughter, this woman was talking about. I wasn't reacting. I was able to step back and observe. And I think that's an important part of being able to put the brakes on, right? Is being able to step back and observe. So that concept of metacognition, right? That ability yeah. to look at look at what I'm doing, to observe myself and mm-hmm. to be to change behaviors that way. Yeah. So what do you think? So you've got this experience as a practitioner, as a therapist, and then mm-hmm. you kind of and your own personal experience and mm-hmm. and you relate to the to the discovery of, of ADHD for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're also I mean, you said something earlier I want to go back to. You said, you know, your kids were diagnosed with ADHD, but didn't take it seriously. Right. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Probably has something to do with my own reactivity. <laughs> Okay. So, so by not taking it seriously, does that mean we didn't do treatment? I just took the diagnosis and went forward. Like, I don't understand because I hear you saying you were trying Mm -hmm. to, to address the challenges you were facing and -hmm. yet I didn't take that seriously. So what, how did you respond? So I guess it's part of how I look at ADHD as well now, right? but it's how I look at a lot of things. So I look at things more broadly. And at the time, I think I was looking at things so broadly, I couldn't get, I couldn't address the ADHD specifically because I didn't, again, I didn't understand it. I was thinking, what was I thinking at the time? One of the issues um, was it going to be around her being underweight. Mm -hmm. So we really sort of anxiously focused on food. Mm -hmm. I went the functional medicine route. So again, I wasn't addressing ADHD in my mind. I was addressing, you know, getting enough food in there. And I was addressing anxiety and emotional issues. And, and you know what, Elaine, I, one of the biggest things that has come from the diagnosis is we would always sort of have this added, yeah, my husband's ADHD. Yeah. Okay. You've got, my daughters have ADHD. And part of the reason I didn't take it seriously was part of how one of them was diagnosed. And I can go into that, but everybody else is kind of, off, right, was my attitude. Mm -hmm. When I got the diagnosis, there was a real um, humbling Mm -hmm. and a connection point. Connection to? So, for example, I'll leave the house 
three times without everything I need. <laughs> and my daughter, Shocker. my younger daughter will be sitting on the couch and watching me come in and out, in and out. And I say, ah, oh, it's just my ADHD. There's something in that that's kind of calming for both of us. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It's like, I'm not the one who's sort of dealing with all these people who can't get themselves together. <laughs> right. Well, there's that, there's a distinction that I hear you making between an explanation and an excuse. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and what I hear that connection point is that when we have a diagnosis, whether it's ADHD or anxiety or depression or mm-hmm. autism, whatever it is, when we have mm-hmm. a diagnosis, we have an explanation for what's making things hard. Mm-hmm. And when we have that explanation, we can come to ourselves or to our family members with more compassion, with more lightness, with right. more love, with, with more understanding. Right. Then the, and, and it's interesting because a lot of parents will come and say, well, I don't want to diagnose my kids. I don't want to label them because I don't want them to use it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I felt that way. And we didn't tell uh, my youngest for quite a while that she had this diagnosis. And I think maybe when we did, it was even before I, it was, it was still in this place when I wasn't uh, understanding it. And I don't know, I can't even remember exactly how we did it or why we did it or if it was helpful or not, but yeah, I didn't want her to be labeled, Mm -hmm. but I also, I didn't realize the strengths. There you go. Because it sounds like you were stuck in the mythology, right? All of those common myths about it. You know, you didn't understand the full depth of it. Right. So knowing what you know now, what do you think parents of complex kids, whether again, whether it's ADHD or, or, or more, right. Or Mm -hmm. anxiety or whatever, what do they need to understand? What would help them if they're starting on this journey or, or, you know, further if somewhere along on this journey, what do they need to know to help them have a powerful impact to support their kids? I think what was so powerful for me, I, I, I think I told you this story, but just briefly. So how I got my diagnosis was I interviewed Dr. Hallowell for my mm-hmm. community, my neurofeedback right. moms. And in pregame, we were just chatting and I said, both my daughters have the diagnosis. Blah, blah, blah. He said, so you have it. I said, what? No, I got a full ride to college. I graduated third. I'm like, wow, all this stuff, all my accomplishments, right? right? That I, that the stereotype, right, of what I thought ADHD was. He said, right, right, exactly. His comment was the most underdiagnosed population are high achieving women. And that got Mm -hmm. my attention. Yeah. He said, let's, let's end five, 10 minutes early uh, from the video that we were doing the interview. And I'll let you know if you have it. (laughs) But I didn't even need it at that point because when we started the interview, he was describing me. Yeah. Uh, I just had no idea. So I think it's such a simple thing, but if you've got a child with ADHD and you think either you don't have it or you're not somehow on that, I'm going to use the word spectrum, but I don't mean autism. If you're not somehow on that continuum, I think you might be missing something. Yeah. Well, I think part of, you know, I get asked the question all the time, you know, are we over-diagnosing it? Is there too much? Are we we're right. diagnosed? And, and the truth is we just understand it a whole lot better. Yeah. And we now know that it's not just half the population. It's actually the whole population that has has access to this wonderful brain wiring. Right. Girls get it, too. And that was that was something that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't know before. Sari Solden's book came out in the 90s, and it was the first time we started really talking about women with ADHD. Okay, And it's progressed since then. So so part of what I'm hearing you saying for parents is to really is to be open to the possibility 
Mm-hmm. Right. That when one member of a family has some of these complex issues, it's very likely that it's not just one member of a family. Mm-hmm. That's right. Coming from a systems perspective, everything is multi-generational anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm talking about, you know, the epigenetic research. I think they go back seven generations. So yeah. in some of my family research that I've done, I've looked back and I've got multiple ancestors who worked in dangerous industrial situations, chemical problems, you know, uh, graphite mines, right? This, this stuff that, that changes the DNA and that gets passed down. Really, really um, interesting. Yeah. So. so, so in hindsight, is there anything that you can, and I don't say this as a regret, but it, do you see things that you would have done differently? Oh yeah. I have lots of, because I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Honestly, I would have wanted to start neurofeedback way earlier than I did. If I could have been a calmer, clearer person, so ADHD or not, that I think that would have made a big difference. Um, Regarding ADHD specifically, yeah. uh, I mean, just what you were saying, the, the compassion that comes with understanding and the idea that it's a superpower. I so resonate with that way of looking at it. And and Dr. Hallowell's idea that it's a trait that it's not a diagnosis, right? It's, it's, we, we think outside the box. I've always done that, right? I've always sort of been what feels a little bit like a rebel being rebellious, but it's actually, and I can be rebellious about my, my thoughts about conventional thinking on marriage and <laughs> such, but it's also, it's not just something I have to, oh, how do I say this? Sort of not be embarrassed about because I'm I'm so rebellious, but actually proud of that that yeah. I offer something different. I'm yeah. a disruptor, <laughs> and if yeah. I could have done a little bit more along those lines with my girls, I think that that would have been helpful. Yeah, but it's not too late for me to do it now, you know. And that's that's actually been rewarding. They're 18 and 20 now, and um, yeah, yeah. There's a I lot them? that that relationship is only just starting in some ways. You know, yeah. the relationship we have with our young adults is very different from the relationship we had with our children. Yeah, and if we see it as such, then we can begin to cultivate that differently and become that champion and champion of them that we really want to be. Mm-hmm. So it is not too late when your kids turn 18. I promise you. <laughs> right. No, it is, you're right. It is the beginning of something new and different. And I think with my parents, if, if they're, you know, they're 80 and 78, 77, whatever, if they were to change now, what an incredible thing that would be for me. Yes. If they're right. And the relationship has changed because of things that I've done in some ways they've changed, but I don't know. It's never too late. <laughs> it's not. Well, you know, I, I, when I was diagnosed with ADHD, for those of us who are practitioners, you're not supposed to just diagnose somebody else by talking to them, right? That's, it's, you know, and I, I want to say that's not how ADHD is diagnosed and it's yeah. a complex diagnosis and there's a lot of nuance involved with, with a full-blown diagnosis for ADHD for both either adults or children. It's not a single conversation by any stretch, mm-hmm. but when you don't know, and I didn't know early on, the first mm-hmm. thing I did was I called my mom and I said, Hey mom, guess what we've got. <laughs> right. And because as I began to learn about it, I was able to see exactly how it showed up in me and exactly how it showed up in my kids and exactly how it showed up in my mom. And it wasn't all the same, but there were definitely mm-hmm. layers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There were overlap and parallels and such. Yeah. 
Exactly. No, I think, and Dr. Hallowell said something to the effect of, you know, this sure isn't how did. it's done or whatever, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, <laughs> but we got to say it because it's important no. because it is yeah. a really complicated diagnostic process. Uh-huh. And part of the reason it's so misunderstood is because it's really complicated to, to properly diagnose somebody with mm-hmm. ADHD, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but go ahead. You were saying, but I, I was just, my thoughts are, I've done so much work on myself. I have, you know, 20 years of sitting with clients day in and day out and thinking about their process and thinking about my own. And it just clicked. It yeah. really fit. And it um, is amazing yeah. how many people who know this stuff don't see it in themselves. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I see this all the time in my practice, people yeah. who, and we often we don't see it till we see it in our kids. Mm-hmm. And in your mm-hmm. case, it wasn't until you had a, a reflective conversation with, with a colleague mm-hmm. that it really got clear. Yeah. So I hate to do this, but we have to start wrapping up this conversation. So um, tell people how they can find out more or get in touch with you. So uh, the website is wholefamilyneurofeedback.com. Okay. There's lots there about neurofeedback, but also uh, family and family relationships and so on. I think a lot of times neurofeedback is called brain training, but I call it also mind training with Dr. Mm. Dan Siegel's work. If you've seen some of his stuff where he talks about the mind and how our brains don't exist in isolation, quite literally with mirror ner- the discovery of mirror neurons, mirror neurons we are right. pretty profoundly physiologically connected and interconnected. And so when your brain starts working better, the mind starts working better, which is a fascinating connection. But anyway, so wholefamilyneurofeedback.com. Excellent. And, and then the resources uh, there. And you were awesome. just saying to me recently that you're now doing work both in, in English and in yeah. Spanish. So do you want to say something about that? Yes. Uh, ahora ofrecemos servicios de neurofeedback en español. We're now offering services of neurofeedback in uh, Spanish. Uh, we have some of our website converted to Spanish. Uh, I've started, I have another way people can uh, reach me as I have a Facebook group called Neurofeedback Moms. And uh, with my partner, Ginesca, we are having conversations now live in the group in Spanish, asking basic questions or answering basic questions about uh, neurofeedback. So that's okay, And we'll fun. get those links from you and put them in the show notes. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we're going to wrap this conversation. And I said to you at the beginning, before we started talking that, you know, I have these conversations and we see where they're going to go and, and they often don't go where we think. And this mm-hmm. is certainly <laughs> a perfect example. So Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners or something either to recap what we've said or something new you want to add that you want to make sure you don't leave without sharing? It's sort of the most exciting thing I've got uh, that I'm working on right now. Um, And it is not really related to neurofeedback. (laughs) Okay. That is, I started writing a book uh, about a year ago, been working every day. And it's on on infidelity and looking at it from a systems perspective. Wow. Uh, it's, it's quite a different approach. Yeah. So, so you wanna, what is it that you want people to, to, what's the insight you want them to take from that? Let's see the insight to take from that. <laughs> I don't know yet. I think, let me, let me say this. The first sentence of chapter one is the last thing couples who are going through infidelity need to be working on is trust. Wow. Yeah. That's trust a great is, teaser. <laughs> trust is an emergent property. It's not something that you can check off checklists or get somebody to tell you the truth or check their phone. That is not how trust emerges. It emerges when we work on self. And that's a complicated process. When we define a self, 
So anyway, I want to take couples through a very different process. I, I love that. And, and here's the, the link I want to make to my community because we do a lot of work around foundational, the foundations of relationship and the, the importance of building trust in order to cultivate relationship before you get to communication and collaboration and all of those other things. Uh-huh. And so what you're saying applies not just in, in couples, but also in the parent-child dynamic that you, you can't bet. demand trust. That's right. You, trust is something that you cultivate over time. It's a good way to put it. I'm going to add that somewhere in the book. I'm looking forward. I'm offering here to be a pre-reader for you. I'm excited to to see you doing it. All right, my friend. Last question for you is fun wrap. Do you have a favorite quote or motto that you want to share with our community? One that I'm playing with right now is uh, by a poet and author and speaker from the 70s. Her name is Adrienne Rich. And she talks oh my gosh, about, I used to love, I loved her. Really? Yeah. She talks about uh, honorable relationships. And in the context, she's talking about relationships with other women, with friendships and the ways that we aren't necessarily very honest and open with each other. And she talks about, I'm just going to paraphrase, she talks about refining the truths that we share with each other. Uh-huh. And that refinement process is about refining the self. Normally what we share is just sort of this knee-jerk reactivity. We share our anger or our fear um, or our criticism, right? But when you refine the self and you you get to that more responsible self, you can start to share things in ways that you haven't been able to before, more open and so forth. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm going on a little journey this summer for myself. It's a long, long story, but but the short version is I'm doing this self-reflective road trip and I'm going to end up with some visiting for the weekend with some friends from college. And one of my friends said, wow, isn't it nice to know that there's still personal growth happening at this age? And I was like, wait, there's not, not, not everybody. Like, like the notion that that was surprising to her kind of blew me away. I think that's I one of the strengths of ADHD. We yeah. never quit. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a constant ongoing reflective process if we pay attention, which is ironic, but it's true. (laughs) All right, my friend, thank you. Thank you for just a really interesting, insightful, lovely conversation. Um, Our guest has been Miriam Bellamy with Whole Family Neurofeedback, and we've got all that information in the show notes. I encourage you to check it out. The beauty of the way that they do neurofeedback is that it can be done in the comfort of your own home. They send you send you the, the equipment and you can and guide you through it. So neurofeedback is not unapproachable, uh, even if you don't live in a community where there's a practitioner. And uh, to those of you listening, thanks for what you do for yourself and for your kids. Remember that at the end of the day, you make a huge difference. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.